We live in an age of anxiety. It's like an illness. You can't sleep. You don't laugh anymore. Stress is your constant companion. The reality is, there's a lot to worry about. Loved ones get sick. People lose their jobs. Friends get cancer. Families struggle. So we worry and feel anxious. But be encouraged. While worry is a part of life, it doesn't have to dominate it. God offers peace in the midst of the storm. He is sovereign, present, bigger than your problems, and always right on time. Trust Him and you can be anxious for nothing. All right, good morning, Liquid Church. I want to welcome you back from the beach. It's great to see you guys. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim, and uh, especially if you're new, special welcome if you're visiting um, our church, Liquid. It meets in six locations, what we call campuses, kind of all over the state. And today, we need to give a special welcome to our Middlesex County campus. It is their grand reopening at Sayerville High School. Can we hear it for them? Congratulations, guys. Pastor Chris and team, uh, we're so proud of you guys as you saturate the Sayerville area and region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're doing is we're kicking off this brand new series called Anxious for Nothing, which is about dealing with anxiety. Uh, anybody here who struggles with stress? Uh, a little bit of worry, perhaps. Uh, I think this is perfect timing because, uh, actually, quick show of hands. How many of you, you either went back to work or you sent your kids back to school this week? Just show of hands, okay? Yeah, pretty much everybody, right? There's like kind of a big transition happening. Everybody's back from vacation, back to school, back to work, back to sports, back to schedules, back to stress, basically. Can I be honest with you? Uh, our family was down the shore on Monday for our last Labor Day, you know, fling at the beach. It was a beautiful day. We relaxed. We rode the waves. We body surfed. You know, we stuck our stand in the toes until about 6 p.m. We were like, we're going to drain the last drop of summer here, you know. And, but then the, cl the clouds start rolling in and the stress started creeping up as we got ready to head home. You got had this right? We, we hurry to pack and it's like, you know, get your clothes and all the beach gear in the car. That's stressful. Uh, then we try to wolf down dinner before we hit the parkway. More stress. And can we talk about the Garden State Parkway <laughs> on a Monday night of Labor Day weekend? Can you say highway to hell? That's like, uh, you know, three Red Bulls and, you know, smoke a cigarette. Talk about anxiety. We merge onto the parkway north. It is a sea of red taillights because everybody had this. I can't believe they stole my idea. Let's drive home late on Monday and we'll miss the traffic. Said everybody, uh, bumper to bumper, I feel my blood pressure rising. And it was funny because it's like whatever relaxing effect that vacation had sort of vanished in that moment as we began re-entry into North Jersey. Uh, that is called a hard landing right there. Uh, it's funny because as we're driving, you know, our, my kids are in the back seat. They're trying to finish their summer homework assignments, of course, because school starts at 7.30 a.m. and we got home at 11.45 p.m. That, that's just bad parenting right there, okay? Let's just acknowledge. That's like a parenting, it seemed like a smart idea on the beach. Next morning, super anxiety and stress as our fall schedule kind of slapped us back to reality. But you've got your own stories to tell. I mean, the start of fall can be a trigger for anxious thoughts as we kind of anticipate what's waiting for us. 
Uh, over the summer, I read a great book by author Max Lucado. It's called Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World, which I can highly recommend to you. It's on which this series is based, but I loved it. Um, Lucado describes anxiety this way. He says, it's a low-grade fear. It's an edginess, a, a dread. It's a wind that won't stop howling. It's not so much a storm as it is the certainty that it, one is coming, always coming, just for you. I had a mom tell me this week, she said, uh, Tim, I haven't slept in three days. Why? Because she said, my youngest is starting kindergarten, and I have all this anxiety, you know, like, what if he doesn't fit in? You know, what if he's bullied? And she said, my oldest is starting middle school, and we're, my, my husband and I, we just feel anxious about her friend group. They, now, they all have cell phones now, and Snapchat, and there's parties now, you know, at middle school, and she feels anxiety as a parent about how to navigate all that. You guys know, with anxiety, you don't sleep well. You don't laugh as much. You, you don't see the sun. You only see clouds coming on the horizon. And some of you feel that as we hit the fall, right? What if I don't hit my marks in my job? What if I don't pass my board exams? I've been studying for three years. If I fail, it all goes down the drain. What if this lump right here is a tumor? See, anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. What if I don't close the deal at my job? What if I don't get the bonus? What if then we can't afford braces for the kids, right? What, what if then the kids have crooked teeth? And, and what if that crooked teeth presents them from, you know, getting married? And, and, and what if someday they end up, you know, hungry and homeless with a cardboard sign that says, my parents couldn't afford braces for me in fall, you know? We laugh, but anxiety is no laughing matter. It's like the splinter in your mind. It's assuming that the other shoe is always about to drop. It's like you're part chicken little and part Eeyore. You know, the sky is falling but it's falling disproportionately on me. And so we feel anxious, or we experience anxiety. I mean, take a look at this word. What is anxiety? Well, you can kind of see in the root word. At the root of anxiety is the word angst or worry. It's this dread about what might possibly happen in the future. It, it's agita, if you're Italian. If you're agita, you know, just... Uh, it's this, it's always circling your thoughts, the busy thoughts, the hard drive, the panic, a vague feeling about all the bad things that possibly could happen in the future. Now understand here, some of you are like, oh yeah, yeah, I feel fear from time to time. No, 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 no. Anxiety is not the same thing as fear. Did you know that? Fear and anxiety are not twins. They're cousins. They're related. Fear sees a threat. It's an actual, physical, you can, it's a realistic, grounded in reality threat. But anxiety imagines one. Fear is what you feel when you look out in the backyard and you see a raccoon in your yard and it's like frothing at the mouth, right? You, you feel fear. You're like, okay, whoa, fight or flight moment, right? Anxiety is the voice that tells you never, ever go in the backyard again there is a rabid raccoon named Rocky waiting for you behind the garbage can, okay? Fear results in fight or flight. Our adrenaline kicks in, but anxiety just creates doom and gloom. Angst, worry, agita, irrational worry. You see that mole? I bet it's cancerous. We can't go on a trip without the kids. What are we going to do? What if our plane goes down? We can't travel without the kid. Then they'll be orphaned. 
A friend told me his wife struggles daily with anxiety. He said, Tim, it, it affects everything. It impacts all our family decisions, where, where we travel and where we don't, what we eat and what we don't. Anxiety ain't fun, especially if somebody in your family struggles with it. Just show of hands. How many of you have someone in your family who struggles with anxiety? Okay, yeah, don't point to them. That, that's caused more anxiety. Just, okay, we're identifying. All right, okay. It's not surprising. Um, we live in an age of anxiety. Uh, the research that I did is a little startling. The National Institute for Mental Health says that anxiety disorders are now reaching epidemic proportions. Uh, this year alone, 50 million Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack. Uh, your chest will tighten. Uh, you'll start feeling dizzy, maybe a little lightheaded, like you're drifting. You'll fear, fear kind of crowds and, and avoid people. I don't want to be around them. Uh, in the United States, anxiety is now the number one mental health problem among women. Number two among men, second only to drug and alcohol abuse. And what's most disturbing is that anxiety is exploding among young people. This is the most alarming statistic. The average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Think about that. And I'm like, how, how could that be? Like our kids today have like more opportunities, more education, they've got more toys, more clothes, more gadgets than ever, but they're nervous wrecks. They're tied up in knots. Why is that? I mean, think about it. Right now, in our culture, our cars are safer than they've ever been. We live longer than anybody's lived. We have better health care. In most cities in America, crime is actually on the decline statistically. Most Americans don't live under the constant threat of attack. But we are pretty sure that disaster is waiting right around the corner for us. One study actually declared the United States is now the number one nation in anxiety in the whole world. In other words, if worry was an Olympic event, guys, we won the gold medal. Give yourselves a hand. Look at us. Wow, woo! Uh, not so much. The, the land of stars and stripes has become the land of stress and strife. So my question is, what's the cause of this anxiety epidemic? What is it about our particular way of life that's kind of killing our calm and composure? Well, psychologists point to the rapid social change. Just the speed of change today in society is, is neck-snapping, right? Uh, researchers note that our society has changed more in the last 30 years than in the previous 300. Uh, you just look at technology, right? You have the existence of the internet, social media, smartphone screens, everything's 24-7 everywhere. We're constantly in touch, which means we're hyper aware at all times of all the global threats. Uh, warning after warning every day, right? Terrorism, nuclear war, mass shootings, natural disasters. And it's interesting because we have like three generations represented in this church, in this room, at our campuses. In my grandparents' generation, if there was an earthquake in India, my grandma would hear about it three days later in the newspaper. In my parents' generation, they would turn on the 11 o'clock news and then they'd hear about the you know, earthquake in the morning. But now, earthquake in India, it's a matter of seconds before your smartphone starts buzzing in your pocket, right? Your, your, your browser sort of blinks. One crisis basically followed by the next, followed by the next, and you can't even process one terrible event before the next one hits. There's this media saturation that researchers point to. They said, you know what? Think about how you go to sleep. Most Americans go to sleep, right? Watching cable news, not helpful. <laughs> Toxic politics, 
mass shootings, disasters. That's how we go to sleep thinking about that stuff. And then we wake up and check our phones with updates about the next scandal or implosion. And what about the tsunami just of, of personal crises, right? I mean, right now, in this room, you or someone you know is, you know, fighting cancer or facing foreclosure or dealing with divorce or fighting an addiction. I mean, there are legitimate reasons for anxiety. People do lose their jobs. Couples struggle with infertility. Adults worry about their kids' learning disability or your aging parents. Now, dementia, we didn't, what do we do now? How do we fund retirement? And so we, we worry, we get, we get anxious. In fact, you wanna hear something twisted? I know this about some of you. You know what's got some of you really, really worried? Some of you feel worried about feeling worried. Like, I think I feel more worried than, than most people, I think, and that's a problem, you know? You feel guilty for it. Because if you, you, a lot of people think, well, Christians, if anybody, should be exempt from anxiety. But I'm not. Maybe you've been taught your whole life that the Christian life is just a life of peace and unicorns and rainbows. And when you don't have peace, you assume the problem's with me. So now you get to add on a layer of guilt onto your anxiety. And I feel anxious. I feel guilt about that. Now I'm more anxious. Repeat, it's no wonder we're tied up in knots. Because this series, I'm not here to preach to you about the cause of anxiety. I want to help you find the cure. Amen? Because the Bible says anxiety will always be a part of life. It just doesn't have to dominate it. It doesn't have to dominate your life. With God's help, you can practically win the war on worry. I really believe that. I believe if you're here today and you're easily overwhelmed, your mind is constantly crowded with nervous, panicked thoughts, then I want to introduce you to a friend. His name is Dr. Paul. Not Dr. Phil, Dr. Paul, the Apostle Paul, okay? And in the year 61 AD, Dr. Paul basically pulled out his prescription pad. And he wrote the original prescription for anxiety. It wasn't Xanax, though, you know, medication, I'm not poking fun, medication can be helpful. And God can often use that to treat medical anxiety. I'm talking more in this series about situational anxiety that we all face in life. But Dr. Paul pulled out his pad and he wrote a prescription in 61 AD. He wrote Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Does anybody know what the scripture says? This is a set of verses my mom had me memorize as a little kid. I wasn't grateful then, thankful for it now. <laughs> and I would nominate this passage for Bible verse hall of fame. You know, like there's the hall of fame of Bible verses. There's like John 3, 16. There's like the Lord's Prayer. There's like Psalm 23. I would nominate Philippians 4, 6 through 8 for the Bible Hall of Fame as well, because here's why. Listen to this. You guys know the Kindle, the Amazon, like e-reader, download books? Okay. The most downloaded book, book on Amazon is the Bible, and on the Kindle, the most highlighted book is the Bible. Guess which verse in the Bible is the most highlighted around the world? The one we're about to read. Philippians 4, 6 through 8, people are desperate to know the Bible's cure for anxiety. What is Dr. Paul's prescription for peace? I want to read this scripture out loud together. We're going to do that for the next three weeks. In every campus, I want you to participate. We're going to do this in unison. One big, loud voice. Read it like you mean it. So here's what we do. Sit up straight, everybody. Shoulders back. Fill your lungs with air. Your heart with hope. Say it like you mean it, church. Here we go. Ready? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, 
which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, here he goes, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. How many of you have heard part of this verse before? Okay, you recognize, okay, cool. You're going to become very familiar with this. Over the next three weeks, I want to challenge you to read this every day in the morning. I want to challenge you to commit it to memory over the next 21 days. Because Philippians 4 is God's prescription for peace in an age of anxiety. I mean, these three verses, if you look at them, contain four commands that lead to one powerful promise. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your heart is your emotions. Your mind is your thoughts. Can I ask, could you use some calm in your life this fall? This fall? I'm going to write that. C-L-A-L-M. C-A-L-M. Calm. Did I spell it right? Someone's like taking notes. They're like, more clam in my life. What? Like, what? <laughs> Calm, people. All right. Get anxiety about spelling in front of people. Okay. Um, listen, God, wa- God wants to give this to you. I can tell you that. You know, some people are like, what's God's will for my life? Let me tell you what's not. It is not God's will that you lead a life of perpetual anxiety. I can tell you that. It is not God's will that you face every day. You wake up and your mind starts spinning with dread and trepidation. God made you for more in life than soul-splitting worry and angst. God, I believe God has a new chapter for you this fall, and I believe he's ready to write it, but it's going to require some work on your part. For the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack Philippians 4, and we're going to work it into the soil of our heart and mind so that you can confront and win the war on worry with God's truth. Because God's, God's, God's word, it's a weapon, guys. And in this passage, Dr. Paul is going to teach you how to talk yourself off the ledge. God's going to teach you how to view bad news through the lens of his sovereign plans. And you're going to learn how to cultivate a spirit of positive peace in your daily life. Let let me listen. When anxiety attacks, I'm going to teach you how to stay calm. C-A-L-M. If you're taking notes, we have notes in our mobile app. If you haven't downloaded the app, download it. There's going to be notes every week. You can fill in the blank. If you're filling in the blanks in our mobile app, Paul's prescription for calm has four steps. If you look at Philippians 4, he says, the first thing is you have to acknowledge control belongs to God. That is, there's a bedrock belief in God's sovereignty that you must have to win the war on worry. Secondly, he says, you've got to ask him for help. He says, pray about everything. Give God your requests. He has the power to move mountains. And then he says, you've got to leave your worries with him. That is, when we pray, you actually make a trade with God. You say, God, I'm going to give you my worries. And in exchange, God says, I'm going to give you my peace. And then watch, this is important. It is a mental battle. You have to think about what you think about and meditate on good things. Paul says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, think about that stuff. Don't binge on the blogs and all the conspiracy. If you want to win the war on worry, you got to think about what you think about. 
You gotta monitor your mind and actually discipline your thoughts. Did you know just because you have a worried thought, you don't have to entertain it? You don't actually have to say, well, what if it, you can actually stop it in its track and take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Part of this is I'm gonna train you how to filter out the negative thoughts because here's the deal. The devil's lies grow like weeds in your mind. And if you're fertilizing it all day with Netflix and social media and news, you can't expect God's peace. The only way you get calm is you can control belongs to God, you ask him for help, you leave your worries with him, and you're going to meditate on the things that Paul talks about. This is the outline for our whole series. This is Paul's ancient prescription for our modern age of anxiety. And I'm going to go through this uh, each step in the weeks to come, but before I do, let me just give a quick disclaimer before we unpack the first step today. I don't want to give you the impression that anxiety can be like waved away with a magic wand, right? Or like a simple memory verse. Now it's gone. In fact, it's real serious. Specifically for some of you, those of you who are dealing with mental illness, or maybe you're dealing with, you know, medical anxiety disorder, God's healing may very well include the help of medication or therapy, okay? That's completely fine. If you take medication or you do therapy, don't you think for a minute that you're somehow a second-class Christian or you're weak in some way. Don't you think that? That's a lie. Doctors, medicine, counselors, all of them are gifts from God that he can use in the healing process. Amen? So when I talk about anxiety in this series, I'm not referring to medical anxiety where there's like a chemical imbalance or mental illness. I'm mainly talking about situational anxiety meaning there are certain situations that cause irrational worry or, or panic in your mind. In the general population, we all deal with this. For instance, you may be here today and you're like, well, I'm actually a pretty peaceful person, except when it comes to my kids, <laughs> you know? Like the minute they walk out the door, my mind starts speaking about all the different things that could possibly happen to them. I feel anxiety about my children. Or, or you may feel anxiety about conflict, like you're a totally chill person unless there's conflict. Ah, then your neck gets red and blotchy. Uh, you want to, I'm not here, this isn't happening, I'm not in the room. You avoid it at work in your family, it makes your heart race. That's situational anxiety. Uh, personally, for me, I'm not a particularly anxious person, but I feel some situational anxiety whenever I fly on an airplane, okay? I had a, had a bad flight with turbulence a few years ago, I'll tell you about it a little bit later, but I'm gonna draw my plane here, here's the wing, here's the windows, here's Tim freaking out right here, okay? When I get on board. Uh, I had a bad flight and uh, a significant storm, and uh, I'll t again, I'll tell you, I don't want to freak you out right now, okay? <laughs> but whenever I get on a plane, my palms get a little sweaty, you know? I, it's actually, it's so irrational, you know? My mind starts racing. As I get on the board, I actually do this weird thing. I actually, like, look in the cockpit. I'm like, who's the pilot today, you know? I don't, never met a pilot, you know? I'm like, does he look drunk, you know? Uh, <laughs> And then I kind of, I go down the line, you know, as you're walking down, and you're kind of looking like, who might look like a terrorist? <laughs> oh, you've never done this. Uh, <laughs> please. And then you're like, who looks like an air marshal? Because that guy looks like he could take, you know, I'm weird. It's who thinks these things? I do. Uh, and then I get to my seat, and then this is the best part. While you're sitting there, they're going through the instructions. I'm figuring out how many steps it will take me to get to the emergency exit. Because if something happens at 30,000 feet, I'm going, boom, shh. And then I'm like Tom Cruise. Like I'm, like, I'm gonna land somewhere, like, it's crazy, it's irrational. That's situational anxiety, okay? And it's just an everyday irrational fear that God has helped me with through this passage. I'm serious. Nowadays, when I get on a plane, let me tell you something, I don't pop a Valium. 
I pop open my Bible to Philippians 4. I take what Dr. Paul's prescribing here. I actually pray God's promises back to him. I say, Father, my life's in your hands. Be anxious for nothing. I won't be anxious about this and everything by prayer with thanksgiving. God, thank you for my wife. I put her in your hand. Lord, my children, I put them into your hand. They're yours to be good. And I'm letting my request be known to you, Father. And as I pray and I meditate, I pray some worship music, guess what happens? The peace of God that passes understanding begins guarding my heart and mind. I start settling down in my spirit and I actually have freedom to fly without worrying about every bump or panicking on the plane. Again, that's me. What's it for you? How would you complete this sentence? I feel anxiety about blank. How'd you complete that? What, what is currently right now causing you the most anxiety? Just be honest. Uh, most of you were, actually. I, I put this on Facebook uh, on Thursday. You guys are nervous wrecks. Oh, my gosh. It's like hundreds of comments. I appreciate this sermon input, and you put it on Facebook. It's fair game, bro. Um, so I'll just give you some examples. People said, I feel anxious about uh, my three daughters' safety in this scary world. Uh, Carlos says, I know this is silly, but I really get anxiety when my gas light turns on and there's no gas station in sight. <laughs> Onyx, I feel anxiety about student loans. Uh, the need to try to be in control, that's at, that's at the root of it too. Next one, uh, I feel anxious about retirement. How to help my child or relative who has anxiety, right? Some of you don't know how to handle that. Uh, Emily said, okay, here we go. My kids, social interactions, financial situation, my child with special needs. Am I doing enough? My purpose, my marriage, depression, my relationship with God. You see how all those things can be spinning around within moments there. Next one, oh, Meg was awesome. Meg's like, what do I feel anxious about? How about this? Dating, student loans, finances, traffic, that stops too quickly. When my boss, this is great. When my boss says, hey, uh, can you come to my office for a minute, please? When I forget my umbrella and the radio says it's gonna rain all day, I can continue. And then she did. Uh, <clears throat> Facebook, this right now is causing me anxiety, but this is incisive. Watching other people's progress, family relations, and feeling like I'm behind or not doing as well as they are, social media in general causes major anxiety, amen? I think that's true, it just amps up the whole thing. Uh, last, last slide here, I'll just give the last few examples. I want to honor this. Adam said, you know what caused me anxiety? Being judged by people at church. Do you know there are some people who before they came to service, they were feeling anxiety. They said, am I going to walk in? Are people going to judge me? I just want to honor that. Thank you for that honesty. Uh, my son driving, you know, the Knicks. <laughs> Appreciate that, John, okay? I'm freaking out about the Yankees, the one-game playoff. Who are they going to start? Is it going to be Severino? Is it going to be, oh. Uh, my niece is cancer, my son going off to college. Guys, right, most of these are valid concerns. We all have legitimate reasons to worry. But I want you now to go back and look at the first part of Dr. Paul's prescription. He says, okay, out of all these things, what is, what's the thing you should feel anxiety about? Ready, here it is, Paul says. Be anxious for no thing. <laughs> Nothing. Nada. <laughs> Zitch, uh, zilch, zip, <laughs> zero. I, I mean, Paul, look at what he could, he could have wrote, be anxious only about the big stuff. He could have said, be anxious only if the doctor calls but doesn't leave a message, right? Or be anxious for junior year because that's when the college application process begins and that's when your grades really count and da, da, da. Nothing? 
Paul leaves no leeway here, and it's enough to make you be like, you know, I think Paul's out of touch. I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to be an apostle, you know, in the Bible. You know, right? No watches, no cell phones, you're just hanging out, you know. Right? That's how we think of it. But now watch, let me give you a little background. This is going to make a difference to you. Does it make a difference to you to know that when Paul wrote these four words, be anxious for nothing, he was an old man bent over looking out the window of a gloomy Roman prison cell. Make a difference to you? That this moment, he's over 60 years old, 30 years as a Christian, and he's suffering. And as he looks out this prison cell, you'd see his back is a spider web of scars from the whippings he's endured. He's been beaten and stoned and left for dead, deserted by his friends. Be anxious for nothing. Paul has survived three shipwrecks, storms, starvation, and he's tired. Paul's looking out this window, and he's probably half blind at this point. At glaucoma. And what's more, you know why he's in prison? He's awaiting trial before Nero, the Roman emperor. The same Nero who discovered that if you want to be popular with people, you kill Christians, and Paul's the most famous Christian. So understand when Paul writes this? Paul's in prison, an old man stooped over, suffering, waiting to be executed. His future looks as bleak as his gloomy prison cell. And yet you read the words, be anxious, for nothing. You'd think he just won an all-inclusive week at a Jamaican resort, you know? Yeah, man, be anxious for nothing, man. Yeah, pray about these things, man, okay? Yeah, relax, have a coconut, man, come on, you know? You get the peace that passes understanding, okay? It's weird. His letter to the Philippians doesn't contain a single word of complaint not one word of worry. The whole book is four chapters long, and it's Paul's ode to joy. It's joyful. He never wrings his hands or shakes his fist at God. Rather, he raises his hands and thanks to God. He actually opens the letter. He says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. You want me to repeat it? Rejoice. The Lord is near. Paul's prescription for peace from a prison cell begins with a command to rejoice in the Lord while he's in the slammer. How is that possible? I'll tell you why. Because Paul discovered a secret in that cell. The apostle Paul had a bedrock belief in the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty is the biblical term used to describe how God is in complete control of every element in the universe, including your life. If you look in the middle of the word sovereignty, you'll see the word reign, right? When a king reigns or rules from his throne. Sovereignty means that the creator of the universe, who you get to call father, is reigning right now, ruling over everything, every element in creation. From the sand and the sea to the stars in the sky, God says, oh, I created it all, I named it all, I sustained it all, and I control it all. And the Apostle Paul was convinced in that cell that God is in complete control of my entire life. Can you say that? God is in complete, let's say that together. 
God is in complete control of my life, even when life feels out of control. Your loving father is still in control, and your father is completely trustworthy. Your, your life is in the palm of his hand, and watch this, everything is going according to his perfect plan. You're not falling behind, not running too far ahead, everything's going according to plan. It may not be your plan, it's going according to his plan. And in chapter 1, Paul, Paul just, he shines a spotlight everywhere on his life on God's sovereignty. Look what he says. He says, I'm confident of this. I'm 100% sure that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? You are not a victim of chance. You're not a victim of random circumstance. God, as a, as a Christian, what it means is God says, I've begun a good work in you. You're my child. Your whole life, you are beneficiaries of a perfect plan by a loving father, and I'm going to bring it to completion. Even when things go wrong, they're going to turn out right because of God's sovereignty. Think about this. Paul is suffering in prison, and he writes these words. He says, what's happened to me? I know it seems bad. What's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. You see these handcuffs? Right on time. Now, look, Paul didn't want to be in prison. He's not a martyr. But as he looks at his life through the lens of God's sovereignty, he says, oh, okay, I see. God's going to use my season in jail to give me the chance to tell this soldier who I'm shackled to about Jesus. Paul was actually chained to the palace guard. He's like, oh, look, a captive audience. Yeah. See, so guys, here, here's the secret. Listen, listen, lean, lean in. True peace doesn't come from the absence of conflict, but from the presence of Christ. It's not about the absence of conflict. It's about the presence of Christ in that crisis. It's looking at whatever situation that's causing you anxiety and worry and saying, deep breath, sigh of relief. God is in complete control even when life seems out of control. You know, a while back I was uh, visiting a friend in the hospital. He's going through cancer uh, treatment, chemo, had many, many side effects. Candidly, he didn't look so good. He had nausea and all sorts of IVs and all that stuff. Obviously, he didn't want to be in the hospital. Nobody does. You know, I, I, I always, oh, you know, it's sort of depressing, right? You get a ho this, the hospital smell. There's jello everywhere, you know, that whole... And so I'm visiting him, and just as a friend, right, you know, and so I, I sit down next to his, his bed to chat, and I could see, like, he's trying to, you know, he, he, he's in pain, you know, but he's trying to interact with me. And as we're talking, the nurse walks in, and, and his face suddenly brightens. He says, there she is, my guardian angel. Pastor Tim, this is Nurse Becky. She, God, Tim, God sent Nurse Becky to take care of me and get me back on my feet. And Nurse Becky smiled. She said, oh, you're, you're the pastor? I said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor. And she says, well, your friend is quite the preacher. <laughs> he, he, he has a strong faith. He's preaching to all of us. And he says, don't forget, God is my strength, Becky. I can do all things through Christ. I may have cancer, but cancer doesn't have me. You know what? I th yeah, give that God a praise. Listen, I thought of Paul. I thought of Paul because here's my friend in the prison of a hospital room. And nobody wants to be there, right? Including my friend. But because he has this, this bedrock belief in the sovereignty of his Savior, 
He's redeeming that opportunity to share his faith in Christ. He's like, well, even if I'm the one in the bed, I'm going to take care of the soul of Nurse Becky and share my faith with her. And so God is using my friend's sickness, even his cancer, for something good, a kingdom purpose. Just as, as Paul believed in prison, my friend believed in the hospital. Even though circumstances are bad, my God is still good. Amen? He says he's still ruling. He's still reigning from the throne in heaven, and that gives me peace on earth. Paul writes in Philippians 2, he says, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his what, church? His louder, good purpose. Did you know God has a perfect purpose for your life? Is it going to happen? Let me tell you something. It ain't up to you. God has a perfect purpose for your life, and it doesn't matter if, if illness is not going to stop it. Prison, health crisis, bankruptcy ain't going to stop it. Divorce, nothing can stop his perfect plan being fulfilled in your life because of Jesus Christ. So let your breath out. Give God a praise. He's got this. He's got it. Even when life seems out of control, God is in complete control. And some of you may be like, well, why does he let bad things happen? Great question. We're going to get into that. But I got to lay the foundation, you see? This is step one of creating calm in your life, acknowledging that control belongs to God alone. I mean, who did you think was in charge? <laughs> Can we talk about control for a minute? <laughs> because at its core, anxiety comes from a perceived loss of control. You guys know this. When you're in control, it creates this sense of calm. I have, again, like on a plane, it's the weirdest thing. When there's a little bit of turbulence, I'm like, I wonder if I should go in there. Because if I... <laughs> You know, I've watched a lot of Mission Impossible. I might be able to, because something in my head, like if I had my hands on the throttle, we'd be in control. I'd be calmer. Right? I'm a pastor, not a pilot. If you feel uncertain about an outcome, all of a sudden you're anxious. What, in other words, anxiety increases as control decreases. That's why the most stressed out people in life are control freaks. Anybody have a control freak in your family? Okay. Again, don't point. You don't want to, just don't. <laughs> it's weird, right? It's ironic. The more they can try to control the world, the more stress they cause. But what do you do about it? Do you just try harder to control everything in life? Never board a plane without a parachute? Well, the kids are, go kids are going to school today. Bring the bubble wrap. We're just going to wrap them up and just kind of, you know, put them out the door. No. What are you going to do? Never give your heart away for fear of maybe, maybe I'll have it broken again. I can't control it. Guys, listen. You know the reason you can't control anything? is because control was never yours to take. You can't control the outcome. Health people, health, health nuts. I just, I'm, not, I'm not dogging your routine. I'm just telling you nuts and veggies, you can eat them all you want. You can still be diagnosed with cancer. No matter how much money you save, you can still lose it all in a financial collapse. No matter how hard you try, you can't anticipate or control every contingency. But good news, guys, control was never your role. It's not your job. Control belongs to God alone, who alone is sovereign. You are not. So I want to do something right now that's going to be very liberating for some of you, all right? Here we go. All our campuses, I want you to put your right hand over your heart. Go ahead, everybody. Right hand over your heart. Raise the other hand. And repeat after me. All our campuses, ready? Repeat after me. Today, I resign from running the universe. From running the universe. I, surrender I surrender control to my sovereign Savior. To my sovereign Savior. 
I quit as CEO of my life. Now give a high five to somebody next to you. You just got, you resigned today. Doesn't that feel good? That feel, I'm not in control. Oh my, text a friend. I just resigned in church, bro. I'm I gave control back to God where it belongs. How did I pick that up? See, the apostle Paul had the right idea. He said, rather than try to control every situation as a follower of Jesus, here's your job. You got to surrender control of every detail to a loving God who is 100% trustworthy. He says, I want you to turn everything over to God and trust his sovereignty to manage your life. And you know what will happen? As we do this over the next three weeks, you're going to find that your focus shifts from micromanaging and hyper-controlling your world to actually looking at God, and you start finding rest in the strength and power and love of this almighty God who loves you and has promised to work all things together for your good and his glory. Amen? Amen. Lasting peace doesn't come from the absence of problems. It comes from the presence of a sovereign God who's ruling and reigning over the lives of his children from his throne in heaven. You know, the Bible says every hair in your head is numbered. You got a lot of that, man. Every speck of dust, every sparrow's feather doesn't fall without passing his permission. And even the bad stuff, he, your God is bending it like Beckham <laughs> to fit his perfect plan. It's what Joseph said in prison. Oh, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, the saving of many lives. My God does anything. This is what Paul's practically shouting from the Philippians. He says, I am confident of this. I have no doubt that he who began this good work in me is going to carry it on to completion. I guarantee you my imprisonment will turn out for the salvation of others and my deliverance. I have no doubt. Can I ask, do you? Do you have a bedrock belief in the sovereignty of God? If the answer is no, or I'm not sure, with all due respect, I think we've just stumbled on the root cause of your anxiety. Think of it this way. I told you flying in an airplane, source of situational anxiety for me, it's not rational. But it happened about 15 years ago, Colleen and I were in a flight over Atlanta and we, we hit terrible turbulence and we flew into an electrical storm. I don't know if actually lightning struck the plane, but all the lights went out. Our plane plunged 100 feet in the dark. Uh, people screaming, gripping, you know, white-knuckling the armrests. I felt the, uh, the oxygen mask came down in the dark, hit us, hit us in the face, right? Now the pilot, he made it through. We eventually landed, but it was super stressful. It, it, was, it was the kind of flight, have you ever been on one of these? It's the kind of flight where when you land, everybody claps. <laughs> We're alive! <laughs> thank, you, thank you, Jesus, and united. We are alive, right? Now understand something. That trauma 15 years ago is the trigger for the anxiety that I feel today whenever I have to travel somewhere, okay? I, I did four flights this summer. My stress wasn't Newark Airport or the TSA or the lack of tasty snacks on United. I wish they would correct it, but <laughs> I, I, I get on, here's what I do. I get on board, I buckle my seatbelt, and my thoughts start racing. I actually look out the window and check the wing. Is there any damage on that? What? Because I know I can't control what kind of flight this is going to be. Now, I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to pretend I'm getting on board a flight tomorrow. Some of you are going to do this. 
And uh, I get on, I look, you know, and I make my way down the row. I find, you know, 27D and sit down. And then I notice three passengers across the row from me. And there's a guy sitting in seat A, one guy sitting in seat B, and there's a young woman sitting in seat C. And as we get ready for takeoff, I, I overhear them talking. And it's okay because I'm a pastor, so I like eavesdrop on stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're like talking about the pilot of the plane. And passenger A says something like kind of weird. It's kind of funny. He says, uh, the passenger B, he says, you know, I, I don't actually think there's a pilot on this plane. <laughs> yeah, no, I heard it. I think it's an Amazon drone. I, 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 it's like weird, right? Like he's like, no, but I walked, I, I went by the cockpit. Nobody's there. I'm telling you, uh, this is probably a drone. There's no one in the cockpit. In fact, I bet there's some, you know, pimply teenager in Scranton with a joystick who's going to be kind of like getting, I'm just telling you, there's no pilot on the plane. All right. Passenger B says, well, that's kind of crazy. I think there's a pilot. I just don't think he's awake. You know, I, I'm I, no, I've seen this on the internet. I know what these pilots do. Uh, they get the plane 30,000 feet in the air, and then they hit the autopilot button. You know what they do? They play Fortnite. They take a nap. They read a book. I'm telling you, pilots sleep through the whole flight, and then they wake up just in time for the landing. Passenger B. Now, passenger C can't believe what she's hearing. She looks at these two tools, and she, uh, <laughs> she kind of she squints her eyes, and she's like, I, no offense, I know we've just met, but uh, can I just tell you guys something? We are in a plane that is piloted by one of the best pilots in the air today. In fact, I know for a fact he is awake, he is alert, and I know for a fact he is experienced, and more than that, the pilot has a personal interest in getting us safely to our destination today, guarantee you. And pastors A and B look at this young girl and they're like, well, well, how do you know that? And she says, because I had breakfast with him this morning. He's my father. You have three different views of the pilot. A says the pilot is absent. B says the pilot is bored. He's there, he's not paying attention. He doesn't care how the flight goes. But C says the pilot is in complete control. He is skillful. He is caring. In fact, I have a personal relationship with the pilot. He is deeply involved. He would sacrifice his life for me because I'm his daughter and he's my daddy. Now, I want you to imagine 15 minutes later, they're making their ascent. Turbulence strikes. The plane shakes. Mass drop. People popping around like popcorn in a paper bag. What do you think the reaction of these three passengers is to the turbulence? Think they're all just gonna react the same way? No way. I guarantee you passenger A and B are gonna panic. They are gonna get sucked into the sinkhole of anxiety because they believe that the pilot is absent or asleep, he's not in control. Passenger C, she didn't like the turbulence, nobody does. But while everyone else is panicking, she actually has an inner peace, why? Because she has a personal relationship of total trust with that pilot. That's her daddy flying the plane. And she knows her daddy loves her, cares for her, and is 100% committed to getting her home safely. Can I ask, who flies your plane? Who flies your plane? I know it sounds like an oversimplification, but there are really three views of God in the world today. A, there is no God, he's absent. B, there's a God who started everything, but then he backed away. He's not caring or in control. And then C, there is the God discovered by the Apostle Paul in a prison cell. 
There is the God who millions of us call Father, including me, who is in complete control and says, I love you like my precious son or daughter. And we have an unshakable relationship with him through Jesus Christ, who gave his life to guarantee we will get safely home. Who flies your plane? Friends, I want you to take this into your heart. Move it from your mind, a thought, into your heart. The more you rest in the sovereignty of a loving, trustworthy God, the more you will be anxious for nothing. So nowadays, when I get on a plane, I don't pop a pill. I don't order a gin and tonic. Not judging you if that's your thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> I flip to Philippians 4. And I meditate on this. And I, it's a promise, so I pray this promise back to my daddy in heaven. I actually pray, Lord, I will be anxious for nothing because you have my wife and my kids and you've already pre-planned this trip for me and you put me on earth for a purpose and we're, we're saturating the state with the gospel. And Lord, I, if I'm helpful to you down here, awesome, but I can't wait to be with you. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, begins guarding my emotions and my thoughts through Christ Jesus. I tell you the effect that has on me. This peace that passes understanding begins calming my anxious thoughts and filling my hurried heart as I surrender control to my sovereign Savior. I actually wrote in my margin of this Philippians 4, I wrote, my life is in my Father's hand and everything is going according to plan. He's piloting the plane, guys. He has promised to get you home safely. That's how practical this is. Don't you dare think the sovereignty of God is some abstract theological concept. God's word is your weapon in winning the war on anxiety. Amen? Can I challenge you to memorize this verse over the next three weeks? I want you to underline it. I want you to read it every day. Take a screenshot. Commit it to memory. Give it a home in your heart. In fact, I want to pray this out loud together like a closing prayer. So all of our campuses, let's do it together. Let's sit up straight. Come on, sit up straight, folks. Deep breath. Fill your lungs with air. Fill your heart with hope. Let's say it like you mean it, church. Here we go. Ready? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray right now we thank you for this beautiful promise. And we declare you are sovereign. We lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We have an unshakable hope as your sons and daughters. We see you on that cross, Jesus. You went through the worst. You went through death so that we could have life. Eternal life with you, but also peace on earth with those we love. And so, Father, I just appreciate that you have dealt straight with us in your word. Jesus, you said, in this life you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I'm going to give you peace, not the kind you can take away, the kind that passes understanding. So, Father, right now I pray for every man and woman and child. Blanket them with your peace. I pray an outpouring this fall on this church. Flood us with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of your peace. Overwhelm us with your love and your affection that you're working all things together for our good. We trust you, Lord. We love you. And we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. amen. Would you give the Lord a hand? Give him a hand, folks.